All flesh is as grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Let's give our attention to God's sure word. Please turn with me in your Bibles to the psalm we just sang, to Psalm 22. I hope you were able to be here this morning for worship. Uh, I was so helped by it. If for some reason you were not, I would encourage you to go back and to watch the recording of the service. I know that you'll be blessed. There were many points within the service which were helpful to me, one of which was when Christian reminded us from Psalm 19 that God's Word is more to be desired than gold. It's pretty easy for me to desire gold and a great number of things. I like cinnamon rolls and I like riding my bike. And God's word assured us this morning that it is more to be desired than anything else we can think of. And um, my hope is that if God's spirit will help us tonight, we will see why that is right now as we give our attention to God's word. Um, this sermon is part of a series. Um, your pastors and others um, have been leading us through a number of psalms which point to a Messiah. That is, one who was anointed or chosen by God. And so, as we consider this psalm tonight, we will be looking for hints, promises of a Messiah. So let's give our attention to God's word once more. In Psalm 22, verse 1 and following. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet... You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you when was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing 
they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nations shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord. And he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So I said before that this is part of a series about the Messiah, a series looking at messianic psalms. And there are many lessons that we could take from Psalm 22. And the central one, I think, is this, one that we particularly need to hear when our prayer is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And this is the lesson, that having a Messiah means God will never leave us. Having a Messiah means God will never leave us. Or if that's too much to remember, remember this. God will never leave his people. And to see how this psalm is a messianic psalm, and to see how it is that we can trust that God will never leave us, we need to see the dependability of the promise of God the depth of our afflictions, and the means of our rescue. The dependability of the promise of God, the depth of our affliction, and the means of our rescue. So let's look at those first verses again, and let's see how David points to the dependability of the promise of God. What a contrast. In verses 1 and 2, he is saying, God, he doesn't say, have you forsaken me? He says, why have you? I am certain, God, that you have forsaken me. I have called to you day and night, and I find no rest. Why are you so far from me? Why is your salvation so distant? And yet, immediately, he says, yet there is something more sure than the certainty that you've abandoned me. And is this, look in verse 3, yet you are holy. 
enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. David shows us that the promise of God is consistent with his character and his action. David says, you are holy. Now, I don't know about you, but to me, the word holy is a word that, frankly, I don't seem to have much use for. It seems like some religious, theological word that maybe is good for fine arguments and maybe Sunday school classes, but I think that because I don't understand holiness. And the Bible tells us that holiness is something like set-apartness and consistency. Holy means consistency more than the word consistency means consistency. And here God says in His Word that He is holy. What does that mean then if God has purposed to do something? By His character, we can be sure He will carry it through. He will fulfill his promise. And David says, and that is what you have been doing from the beginning. Our fathers trusted in you. And so certainly he means all of God's people who have gone before. But specifically, he is likely referencing the patriarchs. That is, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Later on, he will mention Jacob specifically. And he will say, here's what this psalm has to do with you. If you have the hope of Jacob... This psalm gives you confidence in that hope. So what was the hope of Jacob? Well, you will likely remember, if you've been around church very long, you've heard about God coming to a man named Abram and giving him a new name and making a promise to him, a promise to bless all the families of the earth, a promise to make Abraham the father of a multitude, uh, that kings would come from him. And God renewed that promise with Abraham's son Isaac. And God also renewed that promise with Isaac's son Jacob. If you ever heard the story about Jacob's ladder in that text, in Genesis 28, God appears to Jacob in a dream and he says, I am Yahweh. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father. So Isaac's his father, Abraham's his grandfather. But if he has the hope of Abraham, Abraham is his father. Paul will speak this way in the New Testament. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. And you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you. Wherever you go, and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Did you hear that? I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. What we find in Scripture is that God makes his promise more clear and more full. The hope for us tonight. The hope for people like us who, if we have not already, will someday have such a dark night of the soul that we will cry out, Oh God, oh God, why have you forsaken us? Why have you forsaken me? The hope in that moment 
is that we, like Jacob, are children of Abraham. Perhaps not genetic descendants, but in the sense that Paul will write about in Galatians, that we share his faith, that we have faith that this promise that God has made to our fathers is for us as well. That the offspring was not merely a a genetic, physical offspring, but was actually a spiritual offspring. Those who would share the faith of Abraham. The promise to those who have faith in the one true God is that he will never leave them. That promise was expounded upon and made more clear when God met with a man named Moses. And he said, I want you to go to Pharaoh and I want you to tell Pharaoh to let my people go. These descendants who God foretold would go into captivity. God said, I want you to tell Pharaoh to let them go. And here's my promise. I will dwell with my people forever. So here God is saying to Jacob, I will not leave you until I fulfill my promise. And later we find out the promise goes on forever. The promise includes God dwelling with his people forever. And we see that God has been carrying out that promise. As we read through scripture, what we find is it's, it's not actually a history book so much as it is a, a theological book. If it's a history book, it's only a history of the things that God is doing specifically related to these promises that he's made to his people. And so we can be confident that God will never leave us because his promise is consistent with his character. He is holy and with his actions. All that he has done so far has been consistent with his promise. We also, to have the hope of this psalm, need to consider the depth of our affliction. Look at what David now will go on to say. Verse 6, but I'm a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. David says, I am alone. Everyone who sees me mocks me. They say, I am a fool for depending in your promise, O God. Not only do I lack the sense and assurance of your presence, but no one else is giving me reason right now to hope in your promise. They all mock me for it. Uh, This word here that we've translated for, he trusts in the Lord, let him deliver him, let him rescue him, for he delights in him, is the most common way the Hebrew word that appears there should be translated, but it could also be translated if. And later, people will mock one, saying, let him, let God rescue him if God delights in him. David goes on and says, not only am I mocked, I am utterly dependent upon you and have been from my birth. Where else can I turn, O God? Verse 9, you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breast. On you was I cast from my birth. And from my mother's womb, you have been my God. He says, as it was at my birth, so it is now. I'm as helpless as an infant. Just as I need my mother to sustain my life and you provided her for me. I need your sustaining work now. I need your sustaining presence. 
I have no one else to whom I can turn. And so he says in verse 11, be not far from me, for trouble is near. Where are you, God? Trouble is near. I know this. And there is none to help. In fact, there are many enemies against me. Verse 12, many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. The references in the Old Testament to Bashan use it like it's a, a land of um, the biggest and the best. So if, if you want to look to glorious oaks, look to the oaks of Bashan. If you want to have the best oars for rowing, make them from the oaks of Bashan. If you want to see the mightiest, most powerful, most fearsome beast, consider a bull of Bashan. This is the kind of enemy which surrounds me, O God. Verse 13, they open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I'm surrounded by enemies. And my strength is spent, he says. In verses 14 and 15, I'm poured out like water. And all my bones are out of joint. Sam knows what that is like. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to my jaws. Have you ever been that thirsty? You've been working in the heat of the day and your water bottle has been empty for hours. Your strength is spent. My tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can't, I can't run. I can't fight. Have you ever had an injury to a hand or to a foot and immediately become aware of how great that hand and foot is when it's working correctly? David says, my hands and my feet are pierced. I'm helpless. Verse 17, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. I am naked and exposed. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. Trouble is near, overwhelming trouble. Trouble which has exhausted my strength. Trouble which has caused me to be naked and exposed. Trouble which threatens to consume me. Trouble which has paralyzed me so that I can neither fight nor flee. O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Now I hope in these descriptions of trouble you have recognized your own. It shouldn't be a stretch to figure out how these relate to that meeting with the doctor where you receive a life-threatening diagnosis. Or those ever less frequent calls and texts from a child who no longer seems to be walking in the ways of the Lord. Or from the financial ruin which you've been on the brink of for so long and now seem as though you're teetering over the edge. Or from the death of the one you loved, your only companion. 
David has listed for us the most painful, the most consuming, the most fearsome of afflictions. And I skipped over the worst. There's a hint here, I think, in verse 6 of our greatest affliction. David says, I'm a worm and not a man. I am something less than a man. What is a man or a woman? What are they meant to be? What were they created to be? What is a human for? Most of you by now are good Presbyterians. What is the chief end of man? What is a human for? They're for glorifying and enjoying God. And David says, I'm not a man. I am a worm. This morning, our pastor helped us to see our greatest affliction, our greatest affliction. And the reason that there are these other overwhelming afflictions is because sin has entered the world. Whose sin? Not merely someone else's sin. Our sin. Our greatest affliction is our sin. Our greatest affliction is not simply that we are sufferers, as awful as that is. Our greatest affliction is that we have become enemies of God and deserve His wrath. We are not deserving of His rescue. We are deserving of worse than the afflictions that we have received. We are deserving of His just judgment. It would be right that He would consume us. It would be right that He would cast us away forever. That we would never know His presence again. That our cries would always go unanswered. This is the depth of our affliction. Our sin makes us enemies of God. But this is not the end of this psalm. The psalm also hints at the means of our rescue. After calling out to God, crying to him for salvation, David says in verse 22, I will tell of your name to my brothers. He's not bargaining here. He's not saying, if you will rescue me, I will tell. What you're about to see is he's breaking into praise. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, all you who have this hope that God has promised he will never leave you, praise him. Glorify him. Stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel. Why? For he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. There's a wonderful place where God himself uses the word worm as a descriptor of the descendants of Jacob. It's in Isaiah 41, verse 14. God says, Fear not, you worm, Jacob, you men of Israel. I am the one who helps you, declares the Lord, your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel. This is good news. This is good news. Not only has God promised He will not leave us, but He will not stay with us only to be our judge and condemn us. He will stay with us to redeem us from our sin. And 
from our suffering. David says, why should we praise the Lord? Because he has not despised or abhorred our affliction. Rather, what we will learn if we continue to read God's word, we will learn that he has entered into our affliction. There is one who was ridiculed because he claimed to be the Christ. He was mocked by those who stood below his cross as he was being crucified. They mockingly said, oh, let's see if he is the Christ, the king. Let God deliver him if he delights in him. There is one whose strength was spent so that after six hours of being in the sun with his blood pouring out, he said, I thirst. One whose hands and feet were pierced, who chose not to fight, though he could, or flee, but remained. One who was naked and exposed while his garments were literally split among the four soldiers who carried out his execution, and they cast lots for his cloak. There is one who was chosen by God to enter into our afflictions, not merely our suffering, but one who was made sin on our behalf. The sinless one, the eternal son of God, took on flesh and became the God-man and did what none of us could do for ourselves or for one another. He was mocked that we might hear the words, well done. This morning we sang a song and I realized after 46 years, I don't know what that word means. We sang, um, when Christ shall come with shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart, then I shall bow in humble adoration and say, my God, how great thou art. So a shout of acclamation is a shout of approval. And there's uh, certainly a sense in which we will do that. But that would be Christ coming to shouts of acclamation. And Paul says in 1 Thessalonians that we are going to be caught up with those who are asleep in Christ. Like the citizens of an ancient city as the, as the king comes home or or, or maybe the best thing we can compare it to now, there's a, a chef in our city who just ran his first Ironman triathlon. And do you know what happened in that last little distance of the race? Just as he's entering the chute, his wife runs out to him and runs alongside him, so delighted to rejoice with him in his victory. Yes, we will shout our praise when Christ returns, but the hymn, I think, gets it right when it says Christ will come with a shout of acclamation. Our catechism teaches us that these are the benefits we will experience at the resurrection. We'll be raised up in glory, our bodies made whole, never to fall ill again, never to suffer injury again, never to die again. And what else? We shall be openly acknowledged and acquitted in the day of judgment. Christ will shout with acclamation, these are mine and they are not guilty. 
he bore mockery, that we would someday hear that. He thirsted. He was cut off from sustenance of life that we might have the waters of life, that we might have salvation in him. He stayed and did not fight or flee so that our enemy, death and the grave and the mastery of sin would be broken, the enemy that we could not overcome. He stayed and endured death that that enemy would be beaten for us He was naked and exposed that we might be clothed with robes of righteousness for his sake. And he did not cry out to God, deliver my soul from the sword, but instead said, into your hands I commit my spirit. Jesus is the Christ That's the English word of the Greek word for the Hebrew word, which means Messiah. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one that was chosen to be our Redeemer. So that God would never leave us. And very quickly, David teaches us how to live in that hope. Verse 25, from you comes my praise. You have given me the ability to praise you and the motivation to praise you, O God, where? In the great congregation and my vows I will perform before those who fear him. We, we share this hope together. God is not redeeming a bunch of isolated individuals, but a people. If we share this hope, if we are children of Jacob, children of Abraham, we are children of God He's adopted us into his family. We are brothers and sisters to one another. We belong to one another. And we ought to gather together with one another. So let us continue to do this, to gather and give praise to God. And let us, like the psalmist here, live in obedience to him. So we live in obedience to God, in communion with him by his ordinances, in anticipation of the hope that's to come. In verse 26, he says, The afflicted shall eat. And in verse 29, he says, The prosperous shall eat. The prosperous in this life have yet to have the best that can be had. There is a feast prepared. Pastor Caleb spoke of it this morning a feast where Christ is the host, and he will receive us to himself as an eager bridegroom receives his beloved bride. This is our hope. It's sure. Because of the character of God, because of the consistency of his word to his action, Christ has come. And he has promised he will come again. Let us be a people who live in that hope, who live in the certainty that no matter how dark the hour, We can have confidence. God will never leave his people. Let's pray. Oh God, we ask that you would give us that confidence by faith. Would your spirit work faith in us, faith in Jesus Christ, the one you chose to be the redeemer of your people. Help us, oh God, to trust in him. Help us to believe that even the worst of what we experience in this life 
is not a sign of your departure from us, but is a sign that you are wiser than we. Help us to depend upon you. You have not withheld yourself from us, but have given your very son. May we know the joy of the Messiah. In his name we pray. Amen.